Hello, and you're very, very welcome to Sketch Therapist, the podcast that improves your sketch life. As you know by now, I am Roshan Curie, the one who's going to blab all about sketching people this week, about sketching onions this week, and about how nature and I bumble along very happily together when it comes to making art. Enjoy. I'm having an existential crisis. I don't know if it's a midlife crisis or a late midlife crisis or a, a, I don't know, early, early middle life crisis, but I'm having one. Okay, so I was staying with my dad and I've spoken about my dad a couple of episodes ago. My dad is called Paddy and my mum has been away for a good while over in Jamaica and I have been up occasionally to keep my father company. And now I was back with him in Bray um, just to see if there was anything needing, you know, cleaned up in preparation for my mother's return because my father is a man of advanced years and he has a bad knee and it's not really right to expect him to run around the house with a hoover, although he did that. But um, I just thought I'd go up and give a little bit of a hand. So my brother turned up as well and we decided it would be nice to have dinner together with, with our father, which was lovely. We had a super time. It was great fun. But my brother is driven to mend it because my father, he does love his crisps and his G&T in the evening before his dinner. And he does like a huge, uh, he, he likes his crisps. So he buys a massive multi-pack of crisps. That's chips to those of you in the States. And he buys these multi-packs of chips and they come with lots of little bags of crisps inside them. Now, the trouble is the mice have got superpowers of smelling and they can smell these crisps through the outer bag and through the inner little individual bags and all the way into the contents. And they say to each other, guys, there's a really good meal out in Bray. Let's head out there en masse and let's go and steal all Paddy's crisps. So they do that. They come along en masse and they steal all Paddy's crisps. And my brother was going mad. He said, Ro, we've got to stop dad putting the crisps outside in the utility room because the mice are just, you know, the mice are having a field day. They're, they're, they're having a great time. So my brother kept telling my father, you know, listen, dad, stop putting the crisps out there. And dad's like, no, 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 there's no mice. There's no mice. And eventually <laughs> uh, my brother brought out this ginormous packet of multi crisps with a great big hole in it. And a few of the bags inside had small holes in them where the mice had made their way into the contents. And he said, Dad, did you open the bag like this? No, I didn't think so. And my father was saying, oh, yeah, well, whatever. And he just wasn't going to admit that there was mice. Now, you have to bear in mind, my mother has a horror of mice. She cannot abide having mice in the house. And neither can I. None of us like having mice in the house. Now, the thing about it is I've myself and Marcel over here in Galway, we've been plagued with mice and we just have to kill them. Bam, 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 bam. We kill them one after the other. We have a fantastic way of killing them. That's quick and pretty humane, I think, if you're going to have to kill them somewhere or another. And no, we don't use poison. We certainly do not use poison. So eventually my father was, I was preparing the meal or maybe it was afterwards and my father was coming in and out between the utility room and the kitchen. And he goes, Ro, you know, I think we might have mice. And I said, yeah, I think. And he goes, yeah, in, in fact, I've just seen one running across the counter. So I said, OK, Dad, I think that's a sure sign we have mice. <laughs> so I said, listen, Dad, why don't we just get some mouse traps and put them down right now? I'll set them. I know what to do. I know what to do. Um, I said, do you have any traps? And Dad says, no, 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 no. I, I'll just nip down to the shops to buy some. So in he goes into his car and nips down to the shops and the shop is clean out of mouse traps. Um, and my father comes back empty handed and we're thinking, what do we do? What do we do? And I said, don't worry. First thing in the morning, we will go and get some mouse traps and I'll set them. And I promise you within a couple of hours, you will have some corpses. OK, so it's good. It's all good. So meanwhile, my mother texts from Jamaica and she says, um, I, I no, I texted her and I said, uh, yeah, I'm up with dad and I'm just helping him clean, clean a little bit um, before your return. And my mother said, oh, no, 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 don't worry. I'm getting the cleaner in. I'm getting the cleaner in. Um, I just hope there aren't any mice in the house. <laughs> so I could have left it at nothing and, you know, not spoiled her last couple of days in Jamaica. But I, I thought, no, it's not fair. 
So I said, well, actually now, listen, there are mice, but don't worry because I'm going to get on top of it and they're going to be gone. Believe me, they're going to be ex mice by the time you're back. I promised her. So she said, okay, okay, well, I'll tell you where there are mouse traps." And she told me where the mouse traps were. And I got them and they were lovely and brand new because uh, a mouse trap that has had a death in it is not a pleasant thing. It really isn't. I don't handle a trap that's already had a death. I make my husband <laughs> handle it. I don't do it. So these ones were pristine. And I found a little tub of almost empty peanut butter, which the mice adore. And I set the traps. Now, you have to be careful with these. And by the way, there's the, they're the old fashioned wooden traps, the very simple ones that cost threepence halfpenny. And they're extremely effective. They're extremely effective. Now, you have to use a bait that the mice cannot resist. And I can tell you that the mice cannot resist peanut butter. You also have to put the trap so that the only way onto the little rampy bit with the bait is if the trap is up against a vertical surface. So they cannot they cannot quietly go in from the other side of the trap and sort of lick off the peanut butter because they will do that and they'll escape with full bellies and hail and hearty. So you don't want to do that. So if you put the trap, you shove it up against the, a vertical surface, either a wall or the edge of a cupboard or whatever it is, then the mice only have one way in and that's sideways on and they will they will get trapped. So we set them up, showed my father where they were so there wouldn't be any accidents with the dog, made sure they were out of reach of the dog. Everything was safe. And off we went to the the uh, the the bus, the train station. My father's dropped me back to the train station so I could make my way back to Galway. And uh, I rang him when I was on the train. I said, Dad, how's everything going? Just uh, calling to see, do you have any mice? Uh, do you have any uh, success with the traps? He goes, yes. He said, we do. We've got one. I said, oh, brilliant, Dad. Nice one. And he goes, yeah, 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 yeah. He says, uh, he says, yeah, he said, two hours it took. Two hours it took between setting the trap and getting our first one. I said, oh, brilliant, Dad. Brilliant. So uh, he said, I've set them again now anyway. And I said, great, Dad, great. So he rang me this morning and he goes, Ro, listen, I'm just calling to tell you that uh, we've got two mice now. He says, it might be three because I've, I've forgotten how many. <laughs> My father's memory wouldn't be the best anymore. And uh, he said, I've forgotten. I don't know, whether it was a two or three, but I think it was three. And I said, brilliant, Dad, brilliant, brilliant. So uh <laughs> So he's delighted with himself and he kept saying, now, I just rang you to tell you, just, you know, to let you know that uh, we've got the mouse. So he said, I really wanted to be mouse free when when Cindy comes home. That's my mum. When Cindy comes home, I want to be mouse free. <laughs> so I'm thrilled for my father. Now, listen, I don't have any qualms about killing the mice. If you can't coax them out by asking them to leave nicely and if they're, you know, doing their business all over your house, you can't have that. And neither can you use poison because poison has far reaching effects on all the other wildlife and all the other all kinds of it gets into the food chain. It's just bad. It's bad for everything from from garden birds to mammals, the whole lot. It's bad for everything. Um, and obviously it's bad for the mice, but killing them with one snap of the trap, it breaks their necks quickly. I've seen enough mice in the trap to know they are dead quickly. Trust me on that one. They are dead fast. So there you go. That's the story of my father and the mouse traps. Um, and uh, yeah, so Cindy's going to come home to a nice clean house without any mice. I began the last section telling you a little bit about the uh, mouse situation in my father's and mother's house. Um and I also mentioned that I was having an existential crisis and it was nothing to do with the mice. And anyway, they don't exist so much anymore in my father's house. They've all been they've all been hit hard and they've gone to their maker in as humane a manner as possible. But, you know, maybe I'm going on about the humanity aspect of it. Truth is, I just want them gone. But on the Saturday evening, not the Saturday evening, sorry, the I'm confused. The Wednesday evening, normally I'd be up over a weekend. On the Wednesday evening, um, I subjected my poor father to watching my YouTube videos, the ones that I've made, not the ones I've saved or anything. And my brother had gone back to his place in Dublin. So it was just myself and my father. And uh, I, yeah, I said, OK, Dad, we're going to watch the Roshin show. Yeah, buckle in. We're going to, yeah, we're going to watch me, Dad. We're going to watch me. He said, what What do you mean? I said, me, Dad, my 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 YouTube channel. 
And he said, yeah, but I have YouTube here. And the te- I said, no, dad, no, I actually have a channel. Uh, and I have like made some movies. Um, I said, yeah, they're uh, about art. But do you want to go do you and watch them? Mom, we'll sit down and we'll watch them together. And uh, so we did. We sat down and I really found it very difficult. First of all, oh, I don't know if it's my father's telly or the batteries in the remote or the signal going between the remote and the telly. But I kept, or just me, basically, I kept hitting the wrong button. And you know the way when you're trying to scroll through a channel, if you hit one wrong button on a telly you're not very familiar with, that's it. You have to go back to the home page and start again and spell out your name, your channel and all that stupid stuff. So there was a bit of that. And I was a bit pan- I was a bit paranoid that I'd lose my father's attention because his attention span isn't great at the moment. Unless it's like a thriller, which I'm there for. I am fully there for. Um, we watched The Equalizer with Denzel, just saying, and it was brilliant. The Equalizer 2, Denzel, absolutely highly recommend that show. Dad loved it, so did I. But um, anyway, there we were. And so we put on the Roisin show and I suddenly was conscious that my videos really drag. And I thought, oh God, is this what I subject people to? Oh God. So you know what? I'm not too bothered about it because... I heard someone say recently, now I'm going to say it wrong, but you have to be a disaster before you're a master. That's what, something like that. And I thought, yeah, I'll go with that. And his point was that put up your YouTube videos. Don't be worried about them being works of incredible mastery. Just put them up anyway, post them. Just be cool with it. You'll learn along the way. And you do have to be a bit of a disaster before you're a master. It does take a little bit of time. And the important thing is that people, you know, come back to you with positive comments, which people are very kind enough to do um, and they you know watch them which again people are kind enough to do and maybe pick up something or if I can inspire them to get out and do the kind of thing I do with sketching well you know guys that's what I'm here for so I'm totally comfortable with that but I thought it'd be nice to let my father watch some of the scenery from where I live I thought he'd get a kick out of that um, and sure enough he did he did like the shots of the scenery down at the shore in Killinaran over in the barren in the mountains and I'd be like dad 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 really good bit of a tree coming up here just wait a sec wait a sec and he was very patient and he would uh, you know he'd say oh yeah god look at that lovely tree oh, look at that view isn't that lovely and uh, and then it came to the art and he go he said he did say some he did say lots of positive things. He said about my drawing at one point down in Killinaran. It's the one where I draw a puddle in Killinaran Pier. And he said, Oh geez, Ro, there's lots of artists who'd who'd give their right arm to be able to draw like that. <laughs> Thanks, Dad. <laughs> but that was very nice. But um then he said, You know, Ro, you're missing drama. You know, you're missing drama and contrast. I said, do you think? And he said, yeah, yeah. He said, no, not that I'm a judge in any way or a critic in any way or I know nothing about art. I know nothing. So, you know, I wouldn't pay attention to my view. But I do think that you're, you know, I think you could do with some more contrast, more drama. And I said, "Okay, you know, tell me more. So he got up out of the sofa and he said, and he started getting very animated and pointing to all the paintings that himself and my mother have on the walls. He said, now look at this one, look at this one. And look at this one, this one has drama, this one has contrast, this one has kind of hits you, you know, in the gut. Look at this one. And I thought, oh, you know what? He's not wrong. He's not wrong. Now, I felt uncomfortable about that. I felt like, huh. You know, just take my father to point out where I'm going wrong. Now, in fairness, it's always taking my father to point out where I'm going wrong. And he's the one person in the world who he can say anything about where I'm going wrong because I know full well he thinks the sun, the moon and the stars shines for me. So if he says I'm going wrong somewhere, then I take it on board. Like the time he said, um, I said, Dad, you know, I'm five foot four and like I'm way heavier than I should be for my height and I just can't figure it out. Like, I'm fat, but I'm not that fat. Like, where's all the extra weight going? It's, I said, it must be my brains. That's it. It's can only, that's the only explanation. It's got to be my brains. And my father said, uh, well, you know, it couldn't be, you couldn't be that brainy, like, because otherwise you'd know why you're so heavy. <laughs> oh, gee, thanks, Dad. But uh, my, my point is that he says things with humour and, as they say, he criticizes with love. No, he genuinely does. He genuinely does. And he was just giving his immediate response with absolutely zero agenda involved. So I thought about it. Uh, 
And you know what? I'm actually really glad he said it because we all need a kick in the pants sometimes when it comes to our artistic output. And we need to have the kick in the pants from someone whose opinion we trust. And I do get proverbial kicks in the pants from lots of outlets. But for the most part, I don't rate their work. So or the judges, like sometimes there's judges on the telly. And they can't, they can't paint themselves or they can paint. But it's not that they can't paint, they can. But it's ugly work. And I'm not going to name the shows, but there are shows where the judges produce ugly work. So I'm not going to pay attention to what they say, you know, unless they have exquisite taste and they just can't make a channel through their own brushes, which, of course, is perfectly possible. So I did take it on board and I am going to do more contrast and more drama in my paintings. And the other thing is I don't really or haven't up until now made work for going up on a wall. But uh, again, that's something I something I, I, I uh, wouldn't mind changing. I mean, I, I have one very large, I suppose it's an A1 size or is it A0? Probably A0 um, print on my wall. It's a canvas print and it's a blow up of one of my dry stone walls that I did on the spot in watercolour. And that is a brilliant way to have all the drama of an on-the-spot sketch, all the freshness, all the looseness made into a massive um, canvas print. It's it's really cool. It's framed and everything. Any of you who've been in my uh, Zoom classes, you'll see it on the wall behind me and I love it. I'm very proud of it. So that certainly is one way to produce drama and contrast is just by making my watercolour sketches from life and then blowing them up. So there you go. That was my existential crisis uh, through the words of my wonderful father. And uh, yeah, <laughs> so I guess uh, I guess I, I, I need to have a little think about that. And there's no harm in that. There's no harm at all. On Friday, I had the great pleasure of being interviewed by a terribly nice young man called Jeff. Now, Jeff is a trained psychologist from the US. He's from Leslie College. Um, I think that's in Massachusetts, if that's if I'm right about that. And he is all about the connection between art and nature. And somebody had passed his name along to me through my local art group and that he was looking for people to chat with. And I said, well, you know, he's coming to the right woman here. And I got in touch and I said, hey, Jeff, I'm really into the landscape and how it affects me as an artist. And would you like to have a chat? He said, sure, sure thing. So we got together on Friday morning in my studio. And I might add that my studio is now absolutely divine and tidy and hoovered and the cobwebs are gone. And it's all thanks to Jeff's visit. So I'm very grateful to Jeff who didn't notice how clean it was, but he sure would have uh, would have noticed if I had left all the cobwebs wh where they were. I'm looking around now. Um, it's a couple I missed. Need to get back in there and get rid of them. However, we had a very fruitful conversation and it started with... It, Jeff had some pre-prepared questions to ask his interviewees. He's going around and interviewing a few different artists while he's here in Ireland. And one of his questions was, well... Why here? What What is it about the landscape here that attracts you? So I told him how back in the day, the husband bought this piece of land. It was half an acre at the time. We extended to an acre um, over the subsequent years. And he bought it with outline planning permission. That means that in theory, there's no problem with building a house here. And, you know, he had to work and he had to do this and that. And then he met the a very beautiful woman well that's me <laughs> and I used to say to him used to say someday when we when uh, when I have a house here um perhaps perhaps you know you, you might like to help me design it and I I used to, I really wanted to, him to ask me to marry him but I didn't want to sort of say when are you gonna ask me to marry you you know because that wouldn't look good so it made me look needy which I was and remain very needy but anyway I didn't want to look you know desperate which I was very desperate. I was dying to start a family, dying to start a family. And there were no husbands on the horizon. There were no candidates that I could consider in any serious way. And when Marcel came waltzing into my life, well, let's face it, we both knew immediately that we were going to, you know, be together and 
raise a family, blah, blah, blah. But you couldn't say that on day one, you know, because the other one would be terrified and run off or they might not be, but you run the risk that they would be. So I didn't want to run the risk that he'd go, oh my God, a needy woman and run in the other direction. So I used to say, well, I'm not going to, I'm not going to help you design a house on a, on a piece of land where I might not live. And he used to laugh and say in his British robust way, Ha <laughs> you're just fishing for a marriage proposal, aren't you, Ro? <laughs> and I'd be squirming with embarrassment. I'd be squirming. And so he said, I know, I know. We'll call this hypothetical woman living in the house, we'll call her Rose. <laughs> How about that, Rose? Well, Rose and I will live there. <laughs> so dumb. God, he loved, he loved to make me squirm with embarrassment. And of course, eventually the marriage proposal did come and... um we did design and build a house and it's all very lovely. But in the meantime, all this took some time. And in the meantime, the planning permission, the outline planning permission on the land lapsed. And of course, you're back to square one once the planning permission lapses and you have to apply all over again. But the problem was that the land and the general area had been designated a high scenic amenity area in the meantime. And that comes with a special status when it comes to building a place. It means that you have to have a work connection or a family connection to build on a piece of land in a high scenic community area. So off we went to the planning officer, a very attractive young woman with long, dark brown curls. And uh, she said, OK, why is it that you have to live on that exact piece of land? And I said to her, well, to be honest with you, I said, I am an artist and I am extremely inspired to paint the scenery around there. And she said, no, you're going to have to do better than that. Because she didn't take it seriously. She thought I was just, you know, giving her, spinning her yarn. But I wasn't. I really wasn't. However, we still had the problem of getting planned permission and she was in a position to decide whether we'd get it or not. So I invented a job. Um, I started teaching kids in the local area and uh, teaching art, which is, you know, something I remained doing for the next 20 years on and off and my husband um took a job um I think he was doing some planning for an oyster farm or oyster fishing or oyster harvesting I can't remember but anyway he started working with one of the locals and in the course of time we got the planning permission we were successful and we started living here and raising a family and I have sketched this area more times than I've sketched anywhere in my life. And it's absolutely wonderful. I sketch at all times of the year and it's just perfect. It's everything I want, everything I want in a in a subject, in a place of subject. And in fact, the, the beautiful, the weather, I mean, it's beautiful now in the winter, but it's hard to sit outside when it's really freezing cold. However, the really beautiful period is just around the corner when the wildflowers burst into life and and. The, the blue gentians and ah just everything's just around the corner. The the trees bursting into leaf. Beautiful. It's all it's all ahead of us. So Jeff was interested to know what it was about this landscape and I told him as best I could. Um I told him about about, you know, all of this which I've just said. And he asked me was there any one particular feature of this local landscape that meant a lot to me. And I said yes, Tyrone House, but not because it's amazing in any way like it's really good and everything but it's because it's there and it's been an amazing teacher to me for proportions and and values and so on so 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 that is a subject I've done many many times over and of course the dry stone walls I've done those many many times older anyway or sorry over so we talked about this we talked about all the different aspects of landscape and I I, I said to him something that I feel quite strongly beauty as they say is in the eye of the beholder but I'm going to go a little bit further than that. And even though we just assume things are beautiful, we we assume that a sunset is beautiful, a sunrise is beautiful. But there's no reason why it's beautiful. There's nothing about a golden ball in the sky that's intrinsically beautiful. There's nothing about a flower that's intrinsically beautiful. Beauty doesn't exist except in the eye of the beholder. So this is something I've thought about a lot over the years. And the conclusion I have come to is that we are made of the same stuff that the flowers are made of and we're made of the same stuff that the sunrise and the sunset is made of. Call it stardust. Call it atoms. I don't know. I don't know what it's made of. But I do know that at one stage we had a common, a common stem. We had a common uh, being. 
before the the flowers went off and did their thing, before the sunrise went off and um, did its thing. Okay, I'm going to stop myself there because it didn't. I mean, it there was always a sunrise as long as there was a planet. But maybe maybe in all of us we're responding to that deep, deep inside, some some continuity deep in our cell memory. The very stuff we're made of is the stuff that a sunrise is made of. And I mean, I'm speaking as someone who has poked, poked around in, 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 in liter- literary terms inside a human cell. So I have a, a very brief and very, very rudimentary training in university in microbiology. So I know a little bit about what's going on on a cellular level and they don't mention stardust, funnily enough. There's no there's no arrow pointing to a cell and say stardust. <laughs> no, they have mitochondria and they have cell membrane and they have cell nucleus and I don't know, other stuff. Forgotten, forgotten the other bits and pieces. But they don't have stardust and they don't have thing that is common to us and the universe. They don't have any of that. But there you have it. At this, you can't argue with the fact that every man, woman and child living and in, and in memory and not in memory has found a sunrise and a sunset beautiful. Some prefer the sunrise, those who are up with the larks. Some prefer the sunset, those who aren't. Um, and nature, we all respond to nature. Every one of us responds to nature. So... So that's that's all I'm doing really is responding to nature and responding to to the work of the almighty the universe the stars the way it is evolution I don't know maybe I'm just responding to myself and what I'm made of I don't know I don't know but I do know that I get a deep sense of peace and rightness when I'm sketching the natural world around me. So that's what Jeff had to listen to, me giving him an earful of that kind of a thing. And we had a very pleasant, well, I certainly had a very pleasant time. And my studio had a crackling fire in it. So, you know, that's always a plus. There you go. We all love a crackling fire. Maybe it represents food and warmth. I don't know. Maybe it's something deeper than that. Anyway, when we were done, I took Jeff to his uh, he, to his rendezvous with his wife in the next village because Jeff and his wife are American and his wife has had two two little children with her, a two-year-old and a five-year-old. And there was no way I was going to make her drive back to my place on the wrong side of the road for her and getting lost and trying to trying to navigate the GPS and the toddlers who might have been hungry or fretting by that stage. So I dropped Jeff into the next village. And to my shock, my car was making a really funny noise. And the good news is, guys, because I know you're worried, there was a stick caught in the the door in the back of the car and it was hitting the ground as I drove along. So guys, don't worry too much if your car is making a similar sound. It's probably just a stick. So there you go. That is my thoughts about the landscape and how I respond to it as an artist. Oh, and by the way, at no point did Jeff ask to see any of the work. And I didn't offer to show it because I wanted it like it, that's not relevant. Responding to nature as an artist is completely unconnected with the actual um, end result. You know, you could be good, bad or indifferent. You could be skilled, not skilled. It, that's not the point. The point is you're responding. Um, and then, and and you have a reason for responding, so don't ever um, don't ever worry about your level of skill when it comes to when it comes to depicting something in nature. Just get out there and do it, because you know, as you know, I am the sketch therapist, and this is the sketch therapist podcast, and I want you to be imbued with the therapy and the joy and the fulfillment and peace that comes with sketching nature. Enjoy. After Jeff had gone about his way and joined his wife and driven into Galway to have a nice visit, I was struck with the realisation that I didn't have a subject for the following day's class. And I did an awful lot of procrastination before I got down to work. I did an awful lot of admiring my lovely tidy studio 
and messing about in my lovely tidy studio because there's nothing like a tidy living room, a tidy kitchen, a tidy bedroom, a tidy studio to, you know, make you just want to chill out and hang out and enjoy the lovely space that you've made for yourself. So there was a lot of that went on and I had a free afternoon, but it wasn't going to be free free later on when the house got busy again. I really needed to get my subject done and dusted and ready. And I'm usually at no loss for a beautiful subject. I've just spoken about how the land is so full of inspiration, but it was so cold out. It was so inhospitable and so uninviting. We'd had a heavy snowfall on Thursday evening. Well, it's not that heavy, but it was snow and the roads were, I wouldn't worry about the roads too much. There'd been a big thaw immediately afterwards, so it didn't stay very long. And since then, the temperature has gone up to 10 degrees. So from nothing to 10, I don't know how that works, but that is how it works. And it's lovely and warm again. But meanwhile, there was horrible, wet, sludgy, cold snow lying around everywhere. And the landscape had that bleached look to it, which I can love given the right circumstances. But I wasn't loving it. I wasn't feeling it at all. And the leaves have not burst into life on the trees just yet. And the buds aren't even big enough to make a good sketch on the trees yet. So that was out. There were no wildflowers anywhere to be seen. There was a good bit of foliage, but I've kind of done them in class rather a lot. All the evergreen foliage and the lovely pine cones. So I really was a little bit stuck. My lovely daughter Liv offered me her beautiful bonsai as a subject. But I didn't do it, even though it's beautiful. And she'd made a beautiful painting of it. Um, and you can see it over on her Instagram page under Olivia Curie Fine Art, I think, or Olivia Curie Art. Anyway, you'll find her there. But I didn't do that um, and I still did not know what to do. And I thought, oh God, and I was just having one of those days when I didn't know what to do. And then I thought, hmm, I do like painting vegetables. Let's see if there's anything lovely in the fridge. And I had a rummage around in the fridge and to my delight, I found... Something the most simple thing you can possibly think of. A bunch of red onions and a bunch of pink onions. You know, not pink, but, um, you know, the orangey pink colour that onions come in. And the ones that we had were a Breton pink onions, the, 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 the orangey brown ones. They were Breton pink onions. So when you cut them up, they're pink, which is very lovely. Probably should have cut one open before I sketched it. And I found a couple of heads of nice fresh garlic. And I saw the lovely pink colours that came with them. And I thought, oh, they look really nice next to the red onions. And sure enough, they did. They look beautiful. I used a small little round wooden chopping board as my surface to arrange the still life on. Um, I didn't want to paint the wooden surface and I didn't paint it. It was not about that. It was about the it was about the vegetables themselves. But I really enjoyed making the shapes of the vegetables and as soon as I got cracking, as soon as I got down to work, the whole Zen thing kicked in of sketching. All my angsty feelings of the day to date to, to up to that point, not the bit with Jeff, that was great. But all the sketching related pressure was all forgotten as I just launched in and enjoyed the colour and the movement. So how did I do it? OK, well, I started with those lovely circular shapes of the onions and the garlic. And I found that once again, by the way, because I've mentioned it loads of times on the pod, I found that by using a dilute watercolour to get those initial circles, that was ideal. It was absolutely ideal because your hand might wobble trying to make a circle with a pen, but you're much less likely to wobble trying to make a circle with a brush. So I made my circles for the onions and the garlic. Well, the garlic isn't isn't circles it's kind of squat shapes with a little stem and I made the orangey brown onion shapes and it really doesn't matter what color you choose I went for the light pink if you do dilute enough you're not going to see those lines anyway once you start building up the color so I did that I got my shapes and then the time came to fill in the color with the initial shapes and I made sure to hold off on painting all of the onions they had a nice shine to them so I reserved the highlights in the middle of the onions um, and I and I made a mental note don't go over those and they're by accident with paint and they're 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 not round they're um they're kind of like you know different shapes the highlights but I started off by making them round because I knew I could always make them more subtle and more de- deliberate 
after I'd started to go on painting. So at the beginning, I was left with at the first stage, I was left with it's actually on my YouTube channel, by the way. It's it's uh, I wonder why dad lose interest. I don't think I don't think even my father would lose interest in the little film I made of me painting the onions because it's only a minute and a half long. So I don't think anybody could really get bored in that frame of time. Um, so I was left with some pink circles with pink inner circles in them. All right. And then and then I used my brush to fill in that pale pink everywhere except where there was highlights on the on the red onions and the orangey colour for the brownie orangey colours, uh, coloured onions. OK, and then when that was completely dry, then I and only then I went over the layering of the papery bits of the onions with my foodie pen. And I chose brown ink, but it really doesn't matter. And I picked out all the little roots as well with my food a pen. And then when I figured the ink was dry, I started building up the colour. So little by little, I start building up the colour. And I with my pen, I've marked out all the little papery layers that are wrapping the onions up. Um, and I filled in between them and around them. And so on. And I begin to build up my colours. Now, what about the colours? What did I use? Well, for the purpley colour, I used magenta by Roman Schmal mixed with Aquarius Red. No, I didn't. I beg your pardon. I used magenta by Roman Schmal mixed with uh, burnt umber. And so that's a really, really hot, hot pink mixed with burnt umber. And that gives you the perfect colour for red onions. It was really, really good um, choice of colours. And then when that's dry enough, then I start using a much redder version of that. So I mixed Aquarius Red with a little bit of burnt umber just to take that pinky crazy colour off it off the top. And I use that for the insides of the onions because they do tend to be a little redder on the inside. So your your red onion is very purpley on the outer skins. And then as you go inwards, they get redder and redder and redder. So I did that built up inside and around the layers of papery skins. And then for the garlics, I used a very, very dilute pink colour for the little pink elements of cloves. And I mixed some yellow, um, quinophthalone yellow as it happens, but it could be any clean, bright yellow. It could be cadmium yellow, medium. It could be Hansa yellow. It could be cadmium yellow light. It could be all kinds of different types of yellows. And I mixed that with a tiny touch of glacier brown, the super granulating colour by Schmincke. But again, you could use a little bit of burnt umber. Most important bit there is to make that yellowy brown colour very, very dilute because you want it very pale. And I use that to fill in the centre stem of the garlic and the little stem beside it. And the little couple of bits of um, exposed garlic clove that you can see peeping through the paper shells, the paper skins. And then I went on to the uh, pinky orangey brown onions and I used, what did I use? I used quinacridone red mixed with yellow ochre. And basically just mix your own colours until you get the colour of a salmon, a smoked salmon or a raw salmon, I suppose, that orangey brownie, well, onion colour with a little bit of extra yellow ochre into the mix to keep it on the slightly on the brown side. Filled in, filled in, filled in. Um, and then when they, that was completely dry. Well, my only task was to keep building up the colour. Oh, before the red onions were dry, I forgot. I had to deepen up the shadows at the bottom of the onions, right next to the garlic. So for that, I used mineral violet mixed with little drops of magenta as well. And I let it drop in with the still wet colour and it worked a treat. It really gave a very red oniony colour. It worked a real treat now. And by the way, I do recommend you download this class. I've never really recommended, or have I, that you download a specific class. But I do think this is one that you'll really, really enjoy. It seemed to go down really well with the students. And I think it's a subject that is well worth pursuing for the simple reason that you are going to have similar subjects of um, sketching interest in your own fridge. And with all the verbal description in the world, it's definitely worth giving it a go from the class when everything was dry when everything was dry and the areas around the little roots completely deepened up and darkened well I used a water um, a white gel pen to pick out the tangle of roots at the bottom of the onion and also at the top I used it there as well what else did I do oh of course the shadows are a very important part of the composition and I used uh, deep sea violet the super granulating color by Schmincke I used that to go in and around the onions and um, that was very, very effective. It was very, very effective. And I also used, when that was all fully dry, I actually used a pencil, a plain old pencil with a nice sharp point. I used a B pencil. 
but you could use um, a 2B or even a 3B as long as you keep the point really sharp. I use that to get the lines of ribbing going down the outsides of the onions and the garlic. So I, you mustn't use a pen for that, because, but you can if you want to do what you like. But I would have thought that the pen lines would be too heavy and too, uh, unless they were perfect. They could end up being quite clumsy. And if they're wrong, God forbid, well, you can't change them. So I use my pencil to do the lines of ribbing, if you like, the lines that go down the outsides of an, of an onion. And that worked really, really well. And then I kind of ran away with myself with my pencil and I used it as a shading tool for some of the onions, darker patches. And also what else I use it for? I just went on top of the shadow to really darken up around the shadows as well with pencil. So that worked really, really well. And then, yeah, the roots were picked out in white gel pen. I think I already said that. Um, and that basically was it. And that's what I brought to class. And the guys seemed to really, really enjoy it. So a um, big thank you to all you guys who came to class. Really enjoyed it um, yesterday. So get the... Uh, get 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 yourself a rummage around your fridge drawer. See what you can find. You never know. You could maybe find some peppers or something in, equally interesting. But definitely go with the paintbrush first with some really dilute color because you'll get the shapes much better that way. But you'll also get the um. It'll also force your eye to look clearly at the blocks of color. So there you go, there you go, and afterwards you can truthfully say hand and heart, I know me onions. Well, I did say I was going to do the 100 people one week challenge and I did my best. Now, I live in the middle of nowhere. There are not many people around here unless I was to draw, I don't know, my kids. And I only have one left at home, which I did. In fact, I drew my my young lady, Livia, a couple of times and I drew Reuben twice. If one little head with two eyes, a nose, a mouth and one ear counts as a drawing of a person. I don't think it does though. So other than that, I don't really have many subjects to draw. Now, luckily, I headed to Dublin to see my father, as you know, on Wednesday morning and I came back on Thursday and I got lots of sketches in on Thursday. To be honest, I forgot on Friday, on Wednesday. But on Thursday, on the return leg, I did loads and loads and loads of sketches and I enjoyed myself thoroughly, thoroughly I enjoyed myself. So um, I'll put up a few of those little images on my Instagram and you can see what you think. You can see what you think. I enjoyed them all. I enjoyed drawing the man holding the baby. The baby's the spit of the man, even though the man was an ugly man and the baby was a beautiful baby. I enjoyed drawing the salmon from Aldi held in the hand of a passenger stuck on the Lewis so tight that he may as well have been holding a sardine because he was like one. I drew lots of people. I drew people in the train station playing the piano. I drew people on the platform. I drew people in the train. I enjoyed it all enjoyed it all but more to the point it got me really back into the groove of drawing people now I'm going to tell you what I used because I found it really good I used purple ink by Diatramentis I think the colour is called violet document ink violet by by Diatramentis beautiful colour very soft I used that to draw my people and if you wait for it to dry it'll be completely waterproof if you don't wait for it to dry there'll be a little bit of a a colour run but that can be gorgeous too Drew my people with my 55 degree foodie pen by Sailor and I used my super granulating colours by Schmincke to paint the people. And all I used was deep sea violet and Aquarius green, maybe a little bit of glacier brown and maybe a touch of orange. Really enjoyed it, got to say, really enjoyed it. So, oh, and I used a water brush, a Caran d'Ache water brush to paint people. So I could do it all standing up. I didn't have to break my concentration or break my position too much to add water. So... I can't say much more than that, except that it was fabulous, had a great time. And I highly recommend you do a little bit of people sketching yourself, whether it's, you know, the special week for doing it or whether it's just the other 51 weeks of the year. Do a bit of drawing people. It's a lot of fun. We're coming to an end of this week's 
episode of Sketch Therapist and I have a load of lovely things to tell you about. The first one is Sketchbook Revival and if you, it's it's a free, it's a free event and if you would like to join in, if you'd like to sign up, um, then you might send me your email address to sketchwithroisin at gmail.com. All you have to do is say something like, um, I'd love to hear about Sketchbook Revival. It's something that's very cool. It's very cool. Um, at the end of the month and into April, there will be lots of sketchbooking events and they're run by uh, a variety of sketching instructors. Um, one of them is Kusha Kuna, the amazing, amazing and inspirational Dutch sketcher. Um, and of course, yours truly. I will be one of the instructors with Sketchbook Revival this year. I've been working with the wonderful Karen Abend, who lives in Sicily in Italy and she runs this whole show and it's amazing and it's completely free there is no catch whatsoever it's just a really fantastic way to get people together and unleashing their creativity it really is it's, it's a it's a wonderful thing my class is going to be about sketching people on the beach because I figured even if you're not quite on the beach by the end of March you will be soon enough and sketching on the beach is one of the most fun places to sketch. So there's a free class. It's actually on my website as well. But why pay for it when you can have it for free? Because you can do that. All you have to do is send me an email to sketchwithroisin at gmail.com. And if you are already on my mailing list, well, technically you won't have to bother. But I would do it anyway just to be on the safe side because I'm not the most organized of people when it comes to email uh, lists. So do it anyway, just to be on the safe side. So you've got my email there at the beginning of this little segment. So do that. I am can't wait to see what I come up with in terms of a sketchbook. Because even though I'm a very experienced sketchbook artist, you know, I, I do tend to stick to ink and watercolour. And I'm interested in finding other people's, not just media, but also their techniques and their approaches as well. Because you never know what it might kickstart in my creative practice. So do that. Don't miss out this year. This is the sixth year it's been going on and it's well worth, it's well worth giving it a try. The next thing I want to tell you about is the fact that my in-person workshops are now live and up on my website and available available for booking. <coughs> Excuse me. So I have four of them. The two in Galway at the end of August. There's one starting on the 18th of August. Um, that's a Friday and it goes on till the Sunday at lunchtime. And then the following week, exact same. Friday until the Sunday at lunchtime. I think the one after that is the 25th, 26th and 27th. And in both cases, we start the workshop with a meet and greet on the Thursday evening. So if it's something you like the sound of, plan for that extra day before it starts. Don't think you're going to, you know, you will. You could, of course, arrive on the day, but you'll miss out. It's nice to get together and meet each other. I do very, very small workshops in Galway. So they're intimate, they're small, they're very, very warm and friendly. So um, so if you see a date that you like in either of the Galway ones, don't delay, don't hang around. They've already started to fill up and I only started putting out the, the info a couple of days ago. So the booking form is now live and it's up on my website. Just go to my homepage, roisincurry.com and go down to the bottom and you should find it there. Um, what can I tell you about the Galway ones? The Galway ones are going to be quite general in terms of subject. They're going to be taking place in the in our beautiful, colourful docks. Um, very much urban sketching as a theme. They're going to be happening um, in the market, in the busy Saturday market. You're going to paint and sketch there. And you're going to paint and sketch the musicians on the streets. Um, you're going to paint, you're going to learn stuff by perspective. So they're quite broad in scope. Um, two and a half days of really rich sketching learning and of course amongst friends and and always somewhere to go and have a lovely meal in the evening we had a ball last last august they were just so so much fun so much fun and we really enjoyed each other's company in terms of i'm going to say this because it is relevant to some people in terms of fitness galway isn't isn't somewhere with particularly steep hills or anything like that so you should be fine um i would say a moderate level of fitness and we had one we had one sketcher last year who used a mobility scooter to get around and um that person found it very convenient to nip around the city so you know there's ways and means of getting around but it's a very very small city if you do have moderate fitness it's easy to walk around so those two are available for booking right now on my website and the next two are also available for booking right now on my website and they are two workshops that I am so looking forward to doing they take place on the Wednesday Thursday and Friday 
uh, across two weeks, so the two separate workshops. Um, one, the first is the last week in September, and the next is the first week in October. So they're back to back in that in that sense. You could come to both; they're not the same as each other. The first one is um, George in Dublin. Um, the architecture and the architectural elements, like the wrought iron railings and the doorways and there'll be some perspective really really can't wait to do that to do that one the reason i put that one earlier than the um the, the next one is because we will need dry weather for that um and to be honest with you dublin is pretty usually pretty dry and even warm and sunny in in well into september so i'm 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 very excited about that one and being at the end of september the high season isn't quite as high as it was so you'll get a few um prices that are a bit better and the last one the last of the four is possibly the one i'm most excited about we're going to be 19th century naturalists and we're going to spend the two and a half days or is it three days sorry three days wednesday thursday and friday in the natural history museum in dublin city which is due to close at the end of november for um yet more repairs and renovations because it is a very old building and it is a magnificent victorian building i absolutely love it and it's going to be the most lovely place to learn a little bit about sketching animals and just basically being a 19th century naturalist you're going to learn about you know where the animals are from and their habitats and so on so once again bringing it back to that nature theme if you like me love animals and love their little worlds that they occupy and how they do their amazing things that's one that you really don't want to miss so you at the moment can avail of an early bird discount so um i think for the Galway ones it's up until the first of may so you've got a little while but that's assuming there are places left by then they tend to fill, fill up quite quickly um and i to date i don't think i've ever run a workshop that wasn't full um absolutely sold out you know when it actually started even if sometimes they have filled up in the last couple of weeks beforehand but um yeah if those are dates that you want to take part in definitely check them out and reserve your place um with with a with a deposit okay so that is that is there anything else i wanted to tell you about sketchbook revival um don't forget i'm going to be teaching the may bank holiday weekend no, the June, I beg your pardon, June Bank Holiday Weekend, early June, locally here in South Galway. So that's going to be the Canvara um, Plein Air Weekend, Bank Holiday Weekend in June. So that's going to be two days of me uh, teaching Sunday and the Bank Holiday Monday. And it's going to be local here in Canvara. Well, close, I'm not in Canvara, I'm close to it. Can't wait for that as well. That's going to be really, really good. And then, of course, I'm teaching in uh, Dunmore East in July. So I have a busy summer of teaching ahead of me. And to be honest, between you, me and the travel agent, I am going to be looking up a holiday very soon. Um, very, very soon. My This is kind of separate, but my family and I went to Menorca last year. I talked about that in one of my pods. And we had such a fantastic time. So I'm looking forward to planning something for this year. But anyway, that's that's all about me. These workshops are all about you and what you'd like to do. And, you know, I love meeting you. There's nothing like meeting my lovely sketchers in person. So have a look. And of course, meanwhile, the, the classes continue apace. Wednesday one is uh, taking a break for the moment. So you've got Saturday afternoons, Irish time. That's Saturday mornings in the US. Sometimes very early. I had people turning up at 6 a.m. over in their time zone yesterday morning. Um, but it's two o'clock in the afternoon, Irish time. That's GMT at the moment. But that will change in a couple of weeks. And then on Tuesday evenings, 7 p.m. Irish time. So that's again GMT. So keep an eye out on the website for whatever fun subjects are coming up. I can feel a St. Patrick's Day theme coming up for Tuesday evening's class because that's the 14th and St. Patrick's Day will be over by next Saturday. Okay, guys, I will leave it at that and I wish you, as always, you know, get out your sketching stuff, get out into the big wide outdoors and happy sketching. <laughs>